And I'll probably cut out those two minutes. Um. Welcome to episode two of the Chasing McNaughton podcast, and I'm your host, Tim Brown. With me today are my co-hosts from Tech Hockey Guide, Rob Gilraith. Hey guys, how's it going? And a special guest from Fairbanks, Britton Anderson. What's up, guys? Thanks for joining me today, guys. As always, we'll be discussing Michigan Tech Hockey and the WCHA. Our major topics this week are the Donnie Brook at the end of the Huskies Wildcats game, officiating in the WCHA. Michigan Tech's upcoming series in Fairbanks with Alaska, and the news that uh, UAA and Alaska announcing they will have hockey through at least next season. Plus, we'll have predictions for this coming weekend series. Let's do the thank you notes plus a brief note from our sponsor, and we'll come back and start with the Donnybrook. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. So the first thing on the list is the Donnybrook at the end of the Huskies-Wildcats game, which included 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12 roughing penalties, a high-sticking penalty, two grasping of the face max, and two game misconducts resulting in a power play for Northern Michigan somehow. What do you think about that, Rob? You watched it? I watched it uh, on my phone at the restaurant eating dinner after all day working. <laughs> uh, I think the most memorable part of it is, uh, you know, seeing Jurisic come diving in there from the sides, goalie goalie pads up in the air as he uh, as he gets in. You usually see the goalies, you know, hanging back, not getting involved in the in the fun quite as much. But uh, you know, with an extra skater on the ice, apparently he felt it was necessary to. Uh, let one of the other guys get doubled up on, so he got involved. Yeah, I'm Definitely, not really yeah. sure how he got he got two minors out of that when Rotor managed to not get any for Northern, and and we it, got a uh, penalty kill. Not that it matters because there was 1.2 seconds left. But is there two minutes for fighting while goalie? <laughs> it seems like that might have been part of it, but it doesn't make sense when they had the extra skater and everybody else was involved. So I don't I don't get it. No, it just goes to show you it's the end of a Tech Northern game, right? right. And you're beating them in their own barn. Passions are high. You've had a real chippy, pretty chippy game, you know, from what I've seen from the highlights and listening to the, the Joe show. Sounds like there was a bit of uh, bit of the extracurriculars going on all game, which is what you expect to see in the rivalry games. So, I don't know. I would think a weekend without a without some sort of fight from a tech northern perspective is the unusual one i bet you if you went back and looked at the actual the oh yeah actual tape if you will i won't forget that one with uh jordan foot back in the day at northern and there's a there's always something going on pretty much yep yeah there's something there's something happening right so that's that's the that's the whole rivalry things are passionate I, yeah you know? it was just and then the other crazy part about that whole situation is just how long it took for those last two seconds to be played for how long it took to watch the video, put out the penalties. Like it really shouldn't have been that hard to just give everybody on the ice a minor. And I suppose they wanted to watch it a couple times and check for, you know, the grasping of the face mask stuff and the game misconducts, but it didn't really make sense to me how that played out. And thankfully it didn't matter because there wasn't enough time left for Northern to do anything with it. Right, yeah, so we were watching it on our phones in the restaurant, so we didn't have audio, so we had no idea why it was taking as long as it was taking. 
it looked pretty clear. You know, it was a fight at the end of the game. Give everybody a roughing, call it done, drop yeah. the puck, and uh, you know, go home happy. But uh, no, they had to had to watch it for quite a while to figure out that yeah, everyone was naughty on the ice when they were all in the corner in a pile beating on each other. So <laughs> I don't know how that uh, I don't know how that doesn't get resolved quicker. It's interesting to you know see how long that review process takes for something like that. But you know, they got I think they got things right ish. I don't understand how someone comes out of that with a power play, but like you said, there was a second left. It didn't matter in the end. And there were no misconducts or anything like that, right? They're all misconducts, no um disqualifications and the league announced on Monday that there or the league told me on Monday that there would not be any additional penalties or uh suspensions related to it, which doesn't really surprise me because it all looked like pretty harmless fighting other than maybe Lagren getting something, but I'm not surprised. Well, yeah, it wasn't like it broke out because someone got hit from behind and there was someone down on the ice or anything like that. No, it was just end of rivalry weekend uh, frustration coming out. Right. Britton, did you get a chance to check it out? I did, yeah. And it's it's interesting, especially like with plays like that that do end up in, in resulting of a power play. I mean, from, from my perspective, it kind of broke out based on the Michigan Tech defense rightly pinning the puck against the boards in the waning seconds to just be in their own zone. It's a few seconds left in a rivalry game in a one goal game. You don't want to give away a, the tying, the potential tying goal in the waning seconds, right? So, you know, obviously Northern was kind of frustrated by that type of play, and that's uh, I think that's just kind of what broke out. But I think that they maybe probably called the the advantage to Northern Michigan probably a little bit. Uh, unfairly maybe but at the same time like frustrations are high it's a rivalry weekend and in the end it doesn't matter they brought the face off outside of the zone uh, with 1.2 seconds to go so it's mostly inconsequential it's just a more of a formality i think at that at that point and that's just what the officials saw and that's what they you know that's how many penalties they called and um, it's just the what ends up shaking out at the end of the, at the end of something like that is that the right call to bring the the uh, face? Yeah, that's out? what I was just gonna say too. That's curious. If if you have the power play, and you are the ones that are getting the extra man, why is that coming out of the offensive zone at that point? Shouldn't that stay in? I was, well, I was told online that it's supposed to come out because the defensemen are not supposed to get involved in the fight because they got involved in the involved in the okay. scuffle from the blue line that it comes out and that trumps the power play. But I've never heard that before. Yeah, I don't actually, I don't know the rule on that, to be honest. Have you heard that, Britton? Yeah, offhand, I don't either. And generally, it has to do with, with uh, probably the, the guilty party team. If they're going to say that Michigan Tech took the extra penalty, maybe that was their way of equalizing it, of saying, because I mean, most of that stuff was after the whistle happened, right? So maybe there's only one active penalty that was maybe against Michigan Tech. But at that point, you'd think it would be down in the zone, but maybe just because there was offsetting penalties at some point, how the advantage played out, they brought it out of the zone. I don't I don't know what the official rule is and where the face-off draws happen in that type of situation. But um, And again, I mean, again, with 1.2 seconds left, it, it didn't really make that much of a difference, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I agree. You said you had your own fight in your uh, Alaska series that you paid attention to this weekend? Yeah, that Ferris State Alaska series this weekend was, was something. Like, well, what was, back- what, was the, uh, what was Friday night's result? Just for the people that didn't miss uh, pay attention to so those ones we're going to talk about. Let's 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 just do a quick little review. Sure, sure. So Friday night was a was a was a Ferris State three two win in a game. I don't think that anybody thought that they would have a chance in winning. Um, the shots on goal. Uh, the, the most shot lopsided on shots on goal that I have seen go the wrong way in a very like this is like North Dakota Michigan Tech two thousand ninety nineties style lopsided. Was that the overrated chant night? It was ridiculous. They had what? I think seven yeah. shots in the last two periods total, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So Ferris State had five shots in the first, five shots in the second and the second, and two shots in the third for a total of twelve. <laughs> uh and they won three to yeah. two. <laughs> and they won three to two. One of which was a there was one goal I'm gonna I'll give them very, very good credit for and it's, and it's honestly one of those just lapses in judgment uh, and just boneheaded mistakes that you kinda make on the power play and special teams continues to be the story for Alaska this year and coming as one of the teams that uh, takes the most penalties in the country. It's not a situation you really want to be in all that often, but um the, the yeah, the uh, puck was turned over right inside the Nanex blue line to uh, uh one of the fairest state of uh 
uh, wingers. And I'm not really sure which one off the top of my head. I don't have the box score in front of me. Um, but honestly, like, it was just a turnover right there and an unassisted shorthanded goal, uh, which is, it just took the wind out of the sails. I think at that point it was one nothing fair state and all of a sudden boom, two nothing. And it's, it was a little wild. And then Nanners came back to, to, to tie it. And then Ferris state took the, took the three, two win, but it's, that was, that was rough. The final shots on goal total though was 37 to 12. Yeah, it was just basically siege in on the Ferris and the entire game. I actually sit up and watched that one myself. Uh, and the it third, was, it should not have been. It should not have been a Ferris win. <laughs> the, the third period, like just walking out on the ice after after the game was over, like the the Nanook's end of the ice was still almost freshly sand. Still, it was that was a very very lopsided game, but the score did not tell the actual uh, picture. That's for sure. And then. Sure enough, Saturday, the the script is flipped a little bit. Uh, Max Newton gets two goals for Alaska pretty quick to go up 2-0, uh, one of which in the power play. And then all of a sudden, the game just starts turning very, very, very vicious. And uh, it's it's chippy left and right. There were tons, tons of – there were 30 penalties total called in the game. Uh, and at the end, it you know similar to the Michigan Tech series, that, that game there, all hell kind of broke loose. Uh, one of the Ferris State players ended up uh, – Either slashing or cross-checking. I forget the description. The descriptor that was used by our our uh, color announcer Eric. But uh, in, in other words, one guy got uh, one of our nanos got uh, hit in the head with a stick uh, that did not go so well. There were, I believe, four game misconducts called at the end of that game. Um, I'm gonna. I was gonna try to pull up the box score, but I kind of got sidetracked while I was talking about that for a second. But so are you guys yeah. gonna be missing people for Friday night? Then is that what we're saying? No, I, I, so most of the infractions were in the end were against Ferris State. Uh, oh, fair enough. We had a we had a couple of retali- retaliatory penalties in the end, but it, as far as I could tell, the box score still wasn't accurate. So they told us um, that there were a bunch of game misconducts. You know, they, that's what they announced. Uh, I was actually away. I was not at home, so I was not actually announcing and participating in the off-ice official discussion. So um, I was not able to to see what the exact stats or calls were. But the the they announced the announcer was filling in for me. Announced several game misconducts at the end, and the score sheet that's still on college hockey stats right now doesn't show any of those. That's a little concerning. But yeah, at eighteen thirty three and nineteen and eighteen thirty three, there were two minor penalties called both on Ferris State. Um, one against Jake Willis, which is high sticking. I think that also came with a 10 minute misconduct. And at the end of the game, there was another, uh, another uh, brawl and fraction going on. But the box score that I'm looking at here from college hockey stats shows a total of 17 penalties, 11 on Ferris state and six on Alaska, but they're not accurate. So I'm curious to see if there's an updated version that's still pending or the league is still holding on to or something, or maybe there's just some miscommunication. I don't know. So in other words, we should expect to see some special teams uh, coming up here this weekend, is what you're saying? Well, the Tech the Tech Alaska series has always been a tight one, right? And then the last ones that we played in in, in Houghton like uh, about a month or so ago were certainly full of special teams uh, debacles. And we we don't need to talk about that series. <laughs> I I, th- I do think it's important. We prefer to forget that one. <laughs> I do think it's important now that the interesting thing is like the those were the first two games. Well, the first game I should say, let alone two that Alaska has beaten Michigan Tech, and I want to say that running total was seventeen. Yeah, I think since the new WCHA was formed, Tech has well, not. Well, it doesn't go quite go that, far? that far, but no, because Colton Pareko no, and Cody like, uh, Kunick 20... uh, came into came into Houghton guns blazing and took you guys down like a combined duel. I want to say fourteen to three. Okay, fair enough. It was like seven <laughs> one and seven two. Yeah, I looked back. It's like twenty. 15 or 2016 somewhere in there it's when like i think it's the first series that we i went up myself up to alaska as it was when it started somewhere that sounds around right yeah. something yeah. like that i know we looked that up so at one point yeah that's it goes back quite a ways before the series earlier this weekend that we had won every game it actually so. doesn't go back that far at all because the current active streak for michigan tech is loss of two <laughs> yeah it goes yeah Excluding that series, <laughs> this earlier this year, yes. Yeah, living in the past. No, living in the, the past. Tim. <laughs> <laughs> They've all been good series, though. We are now, I don't, it's... yeah, like seventeen and two. Yeah, it's not like we've dominated no, most I... of those games. It's been a lot of close games. Um, yeah, 
it's it's tough though because I I don't think anybody expected us to get swept. But on the on the Joe Sean hour, Joe made a good point about the the early team practice that Alaska benefits from early on, like having more time with the coaches because of all their travel that they don't get as much during the year, so they have a little bit of a head start, but. That only gets you so far. That was what the second weekend of yeah, the year. Yeah, second weekend right? of the year. Is it? Yeah. So really, like the tech had only had a a week of practice or a week of official practice. It's also pretty difficult for any team to go what uh, since they move since the reshuffling tech is something like eighteen and four against Alaska, and and that's just not going to last forever either. Well, I feel like you guys have. Your guys' record the last few years hasn't been indicative of the program either, though. You guys have been lower than you should be. This year has been a has been a, a big improvement. It really has. I mean, I'm, I don't we want to dive too far into the into how Alaska is doing this year, but I mean, the offensively they've struggled to find goals, but defensively they've played a really, really, really solid game. Goaltending hasn't been incredibly solid. The, it's kind of been a, a toss up of who's kind of going hot right now between our the, the Latvian Gustavs Griggles and. Uh, our senior Swedish goaltender, uh, Anton Martinson, who's played the majority of the minutes. Um, Google, Griggles got the call on the on the game on Saturday after the 3-2 loss on Friday. And, um, he fortunately came out with a win there. And I think the especially that the, the first game that we played, the Nanix played in Penn State, that 7-0 loss that everyone wants to forget. I mean, aside from that game, the every the goaltending stats have been, have been pretty good. It's just a... It, it hasn't been great enough to kind of steal a game. And on, honestly, we've had some goal scoring struggles like, and Friday was every indication of that. I mean, with 37 shots on goal and just can't finish and get one in the back of the net and just, you know, the visible frustration of the guys just doing everything that that's, that that's possible really, except actually putting one in. So um, when that, when that happens, you got to have the goaltending to step back up and back them up. And fortunately, Friday wasn't, was kind of that showcase example of that. Yeah, Michigan Tech's actually finally found some scoring touch, averaging, what, three goals a game the last four games? So we finally found that. Yeah, that's something that was definitely missing from Tech the last, uh, at the beginning of the year. It was scoring struggles, yeah. for sure. D was playing all right. The the goalie's playing all right. Just can't can't finish. And we've definitely had the goaltending this year pretty much the whole time, and, and, and even stronger the last two series, just dealing with, you know, Joe talked about it this week where uh, his his guys really don't know how to keep playing their game with the lead late and they just kind of give up the puck too easily and defend and it just causes a lot of problems giving the other team way too many chances to try and tie it up late. Um, I'll take that problem every week because we've done well with it because, you know, having a lead late, there that's a good thing, right? Um, but you know, hopefully we have that problem again this weekend, but hopefully we can do a little better job of finally getting an empty netter. Yeah. I don't know how many games it's been where there's been an empty net against us and we haven't scored. Yeah. It has to be a depressing stat. Empty netters versus in four has just got to be awful. Just awful. When you're watching that game though, like look how many times nobody's ever actually you know, getting across the blue line and trying to get to the red line to take a shot. Everybody's dumping it from 150 feet, just trying to see if they can put it on that. And they're five feet wide. And now we got another face off in our zone and we can't change. Well, I feel like it's the exact opposite against us too. Yeah. Against us. It seems like every time we pull the goalie, so they get an empty net goal. Like it doesn't, it, the it may just be complete bias from watching, but it, it, well, last year it was definitely the case, and this year they've been better, but they still seem to have given up those goals and not been able to score one. But last year they were terrible in that situation. Period, where they just could not right control it, even though they had the extra player, and it and it just was not good. But this year they've been better. They just haven't quite gotten that. Well, I think we're seeing a lot of more guys that are able to. Con- the coming up from like the freshman and sophomores, they're actually controlling the puck in the zone and, and cycling a lot better than just the straight dump chase, try to get down to it. I think that's uh, definitely been a big change over last year. You got guys that are 
you know, skating the puck around in the offensive zone, holding on to it a lot better, keeping the possession than we've done the last few years. So it's a welcome change to see that for sure. When I watched most of the game, most of the Michigan Tech uh, Northern game on Friday before the NX game started, and I saw a different team than the, you know we saw a month ago. And I'm curious to see how it stacks up you know, between what they looked like the second week of the year. Yeah, so when did you stop watching the game on Friday then? Because the <laughs> the second half of the game was was uh, was very similar to the uh, what you guys tried to do to Ferris, where it was just, it felt like they just kept coming and coming and coming at us, and we were just holding on at the end. Well, no, that was Saturday, not Friday. So, sorry, Saturday. Yeah, sorry. Friday. Yeah, I didn't. Friday was the comeback. Friday was the so comeback. It was really good. Like we had our somewhat letdown in the second, but thankfully we got a goal and didn't, you know, completely fold. And then third period we we came back strong and and got two goals in like a minute ten and and won the game and hung on for, you know, eleven minutes where we did get outshot in the third, but we had or no, we actually outshot them. So it it was a strong third period there, but not so much Saturday. They've been some pretty goals this last few games too. Yeah, they have. That the that one timer goal down on the knee one timer that that was nice. Definitely enjoy that style of goal. And then uh, what was it? Two bars on Saturday night or three total for two goals? <laughs> yeah, because uh, Brettsman, I think it was Brettsman's hit hit left and right crossbar before going in, or left and right uh, post before going in. And then, yeah, uh, I did. Was that the Saturday night goal? Second goal on Saturday night. Hits. Yeah, I missed seeing it live. And Northern Michigan is terrible about showing replays of the other team's goals. Yeah, I don't understand that. I don't get it. When you show highlights of the game, show both goals. I don't care. Yeah. Show the high definition, both of them. I don't want to watch our highlights that are recorded off the web stream that look like poo. I want to watch <laughs> the home ones where they're actually in high def. I don't care. Play both teams' goals. We do it. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't. I don't understand that. Yeah. Everyone's supposed to do it, but and yeah, well, even Northern. like when Alaska played Northern down there, you know, we split we split with the Wildcats too, and it's, you know, it, I, it was, yeah, it was disappointing, especially that Saturday game where the Danis actually controlled the game both, you know, for almost sixty minutes, and then they only they only literally showed one of our one of the Danis goals and both yeah. of the Wildcats goals. And if you didn't know the score, you'd think the Wildcats have won. I have no problem making this a weekly tradition, but uh, Northern sucks, so <laughs> it's to be expected. <laughs> Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. And while we're at it, UAA sucks too. We'll just keep going. We'll, we'll keep the rivalry <laughs> hatred flowing here. That's fine by me. But yeah, it's it's real frustrating because I want to watch the home team's highlights. They're going to be in high def. They're going to be crisp. It looks good for the rest. You know, from a league perspective, it looks good to actually have that. So show it. You know. Yeah, I really appreciate the way Tech does the package with you know good shots, good saves the goals like everything that you want and it's got both sides because because the highlights are supposed to tell the story it's supposed to be basically like the condensed game telling you the story of how it went and like i want to see the say the, the crazy save jerusic made just or the other team that prevented us from tying it at some point too you know it's it's not one-sided and then of all the things for northern to include in their video is the fight Right, like, <laughs> like they don't want to show our goals, but they show the fight because that's what a bunch of drunk people in Marquette want to see. I guess I, I don't know. <laughs> that's what every non-college hockey loving fan, hockey fan wants to see in college hockey is where's all the fighting? That's the coming from a town that you know, like like a lot of towns that also has a a junior team that's also popular. Everyone wants that comes to the other team and. Wants to say, where's the fighting? Well, all right. Uh, So we both we've kind of touched on it a little bit with the other series that we've watched, but uh, officiating has been kind of, uh, I guess, uh, to be fair, I'll say inconsistent so far this season. I could probably use harsher words since I can't get fined, but that's what I'll say. Britain, since since you've been watching other games and and have more of a impartial view compared to us on the recency that we've seen, what are your impressions of the WCHA officials this year? Well, and I probably have a little more of a unique perspective to being in technically an off-ice official, so maybe I'm not so sure how much I can say necessarily, but um, there are... It, 
inconsistent is, is certainly a, certainly the buzzword that's going around it too, right? And I think a lot of that has to come down to the perception of video replay and and what can and can't be reviewed during that. But you know, you we were talking kind of off, you know off uh, off air if you want to call it that about the replay system and some of the hits and stuff that you've seen called as majors versus non calls, et cetera. And, and there's a probably a lot of people see the instant replays, you know, setups at like the NHL and the NFL and, you know, college football and in other environments where maybe it's a little more obscure in college hockey, but at least from what I know, the only requirement for a school to have video replay is the top down camera above the goal and the primary broadcast camera angle um, and I, I'm, there may be some schools that have something else to work with, but as far as I know, the vast majority, um, from what I've heard, are just those three angles. And it, honestly, like it's it's certainly not a perfect system. It it leaves a lot to be desired because you know you and I are watching highlights from all the all the broadcast angles that get cut in blow hockey or got get put on YouTube or you know, whatever other camera that happens to be in the building. But unless that camera angle is available to the officials in instant replay, it's, they're not going to see that or not going to be able to make a judgment call based on the angle where that first hit that you posted. Um, I don't remember the players involved, but number, I believe it was number three for, uh, uh, for Michigan tech Buckley. Yep. The Buckley hit, right? Yeah. They're from one angle looks completely, you know, completely different than the other. Um, you know, you can, kind of infer that there might have been some elbow raised on one side but the other the other angle that kind of shows the back side of the arm you kind of clearly see it tucked in and i think he was called for elbowing or an elbow major right yep. well i think the other big issue from the lead, from our, from a fan perspective is uh, and rob brought this up last week is like they don't talk to us so like as a fan or even the coaches like we don't know what they what they what they their thoughts are on the call when they go in for review like is this a major and we're trying to make sure it's a major or this is a minor but we think it might be a major so we're like and does that matter like what they went in there thinking it was and they and they can't prove it or disprove it like yeah i think just a simple a simple explanation of what they're going to review it for go in review it with a limited amount of time, not the <laughs> not the fifteen minutes to twenty that it took minutes on right? Saturday. So you, you give an explanation of what you're looking for. You go in, you look for that thing, and then you come out and announce what's changed. You know, if well, it's given him the business, let him know it was for giving him the business. Like yeah. that, that that old clip, right? Yeah. You know, well, that's a that's a point of emphasis actually on the video replay system for the, for the WCHA at least because the I mean, as an announcer i and I, I clearly know my direction but the the intent is to you know rec to clarify the call on the ice and then what the review is and then announce the decision of the review it's not a you're not gonna you don't have to uh, elaborate the official's viewpoint because honestly the officials aren't going to tell me that before they go and either point at the center ice for a goal or whatever the case may be and like on friday night of the ferris state alaska game there was a, a case after the play was over where uh, one of the Danix players was kind of hauled down in the second period towards the end there. And um, he kind of went down pretty awkwardly and ended up kind of getting hurt in the play, which is unfortunate, but um, they went actually and looked at the, looked at the video replay with the intent that, you know, there was no call on the ice. They were looking for a potential major penalty. And then at the end, when the, there was none, I announced that there was no infraction assessed in the play and it's the, but they're looking at the call on the ice is no penalty. The previous play is under further review for a potential major penalty or infraction. Um, and then the review persists and then you announce the decision. The, I don't think all the buildings are doing that. They are not. I can guarantee you they are not from the variety and smattering of games I've watched. I think you guys announcing that on your guys' side are one of the exceptions to that, I think, from what I've seen. And that's that's supposed to be the norm. That's that every arena is supposed to do that. That's the emphasis, I think, across college hockey, at, least, at the very least, the WCHA, because that's the directions that were given as off-ice officials. I'd be curious to actually, you know, this weekend or whatever, try to watch each game and see what what each school does, because I don't. I think you guys, like I said, are are, are definitely doing that differently than elsewhere. And I think it also depends too. Where's the guy with the mic, right? In Fairbanks, you're in the penalty box as the PA announcer. Right, right. Mitch is, so is up Mitch, top in the press Mitch box. is up top now. He used to be down low. 
He used to be down low, but he's up in the press box now. I'm almost positive. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, being down low is 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 a different vantage point. We're actually hearing right. able to com- communicate both directions with the with the official versus having some person in the middle relaying calls up to you or relying on the hand signals to relay everything, which is certainly not uh, possible in this type of situation. So, but that is a, a point of emphasis from, if not the league, the NCAA, and I'm pretty sure it's the NCAA saying to inform the crowd, the spectators of what the, what is being reviewed and why, and then what the decision is. Yeah. That has not been my experience in any of the games I've watched this year because Dirk seems clueless on what, they're looking at half the time and what the call is and what you know like from from everything i've experienced watching i have not heard that once um when i've watched yeah, your I games think... i haven't paid that much attention because i'm usually half watching or it's on the Seneca tv while i'm watching jack ryan <laughs> or something yeah <laughs> and i am i have to imagine that it's, that's probably been an issue that's probably been brought up internally to the wcha because i mean i've known a lot of these officials that have been in the league for you know for a number of years and especially through the transition to wcha i mean it's no secret i mean i i've interact with them almost on a weekly basis every series and i've seen them you know a number of times over the years and there's always a reiteration when they're coming into review and say the call on the ice is no goal or the call on the ice is a minor penalty announced that we're reviewing for potential major like they're giving me that direction clearly every time and i imagine it's because other schools probably are not taking that direction uh, so hopefully that that can so you, what you're trying time, to but, sell tell us is that it's not actually the ref's fault I'm refusing to believe this storyline. <laughs> all I can tell you, all I can tell you is my is my perspective, right? And, and as as an office official, in my case, I can tell you what my role is and what they've told what they tell me to do. And you know, they're they're people too. They're not out. Yeah, I don't I see. I don't see a bias in any of them. I mean, as much as we want to infer potentially that there might be, it might be the case. And trust me, there have been some situations. Even when I'm in the box, I think that there's some bias going on. There's been a number of games, especially like against UAA, where I feel like they were just trying to hold the game for them to make it competitive. But uh, <laughs> why are those hard to be competitive, Britain? <laughs> oh, gee, I wonder why. Uh, uh, anyway, I can think of a number of situations where triple digit. Uh, penalty minutes have been have been counted but anyway have you had any refs that haven't like informed you um or is it pretty pretty across the board at least this year that they've been doing it this this year it's it's been it's been pretty clear and deliberate of official like we've only i probably can count on one hand the number of, review, of reviews i've had in fairbanks so far this year but i want to say maybe three or four okay but so far all of them have been very it's been very clear what they're what the call on the ice is, what they're reviewing, and what the what the decision was. And in some cases, like and I'm not participating in the discussion of of what or why is being called, but then I can, I'm discussing clarifying questions of of what I'm actually going to announce um, to you know make it clear for, for the crowd. I, I, if you watch the Fairbanks games, I think that our play by play guy Bruce Check does a pretty good job of putting at least my voice directly on the air when those calls and are in decisions. Yeah, he'll made, so. he'll even say going down to the guys down below or something like that. He'll make a note to say that they're switching the audio uh, and then they'll switch it over. And then they need to work on that level cuz it was really loud this weekend. Yeah, there yes, <laughs> there, there was definitely a disparity in the volume uh between the two. But yeah, no, I don't know if Bruce is actually doing the cutting or if he's got a guy there that does it for him. I don't know what the exact setup is, but Bruce does a really good job of, of making sure the arena announcement is heard. So, you know, you guys seem to be doing it the right way that everybody should be doing because in the end, it's all about the fan experience anyways. That's really what the what the games are, right? They're entertainment for the fans. <laughs> you know, that's what it boils down to. And not having that not having that enhanced fan experience which makes the WCHA look you know, the NCHC is doing the straight up point the camera at the ref, have the ref talk, you know, like a professional uh, level game would be. So sure. it makes the WCAJ look like a second rate product compared, uh, you know, to, to the other leagues out there that are doing it. So it's something we need to, as a league, well, or as whatever league we end up being, I guess, uh, you know, need to adopt as well just to keep up with the Joneses. I don't know what league you're talking about. I'm, I'm not involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. So UAA and Alaska announced, uh, what, two weeks ago now, 
that they will have hockey through at least the next season. Um, you're up there more and probably heard a little bit more about this than we have. What have you got to say about it, Britton? Well, the the politics in Alaska are very unique, right? And it's, you know, the, obviously the, the funding situation, the university is very much tied to the state economy. For those that don't know, Alaska is one of the few states that does not have an individual income tax or an individual sales tax. Um, so the, the funding for the university is almost entirely one driven by corporate tax revenue from mostly from oil profits uh, or federal taxes and, and grants and such. And um, the so a lot of the what we call Title I funds are, are kind of protected for you know federal purposes or, or use cases. But a lot of the state funding is unrestricted. And that's usually what kind of funds things like athletics. And that's what's been cut pretty drastically in the course over the course of our hyper conservative uh, uh, administration that's currently in power right now. And you know, a lot, a lot has been said about the validity of the agreements and such that were made about the, the budget situation over the next three years. But um, I think the conversation is pretty interesting right now. There's a, you know, they won the guarantee that, that uh, athletics as a whole will remain untouched for another year, I think is, is big for recruiting. I think I'm, you know, in talking to some some folks within the circles it, it, recruiting for Alaska is, is very, very difficult right now. I mean, you can see with our 10, with the 10 freshmen that are on the Nanox roster this year, seven of which are European of some form from some country. So it's, you know, they're pretty, the folks across the pond in some cases are just looking for an avenue to play division one hockey. Then, you know, the politics and those issues aside, they're not, they don't necessarily care. They're getting a shot to play and that's important to them. And I, which is, those are the kind of guys I think we kind of need right now. Uh, Cause it, it the damage has kind of been done to the to the recruiting base of the program now obviously the dynamics are very competitive right now i mean we're right at the top of the wcha in points and you know we're 500 right now or six and four in the conference so it's uh we're certainly making strides and certainly better than where the dynamics were last year but the as far as the viability of the program the issue kind of remains to me um that both of the Alaska schools always get grouped together. And from the state economy piece aside, kind of shifting my focus towards like conference alignment and stuff like that, when the WCHA was realigned and reformed, you know, I, ne I never thought that having both Alaska schools in the same conference was ever going to be viable. I mean, it, we've, I've heard from several discussions of, from the time of the CCHA from schools like Michigan, like Red Berenson was a big advocate for Alaska to be in the CCHA when they first were inducted back in the day and, and the importance of having that Alaska exemption. But in that back in the day, you had UAA and the WCHA and you had Alaska and the CCHA and it allowed all those cross conference rivalries to persist, you know, for schools like Minnesota and Michigan or, or Notre Dame, Wisconsin, or North Dakota and Michigan, or whatever the, the case may be, each of those schools got exemptions to the schedule and were able to get these pretty big non-conference matchups that would come up once a year that would be, one, a big draw, but two, also create strength between the two conferences. And I don't think it's any secret. I mean, the WCHA and the CCHA, you know, eight years ago, was those are the top two conferences in college hockey. I mean, now the NCHC is is fairly strong. The Big Ten is fairly strong. The WCHA has fallen off a lot. Obviously, the NCH or the Hockey East has kind of gotten stronger. So, the the alignment of college hockey as a whole right now is kind of a mess. And I think, aside from what I'm calling the Magnificent Seven, uh, which seems to be kind of the moniker most of the Alaska folks have kind of attached to the defectors. Um, which I guess now can be considered the magnificent eight. Although I don't think Huntsville is actually going to be in the program. I think they're just kind of doing the formality thing of withdrawing from the WCHA just to avoid the inevitability of the conference folding overall. But I think we're going to see a pretty big shift here after the 2021 season before we really get down that avenue of, of full realignment. There's been discussions of like Miami and Western Michigan possibly withdrawing from the oh, Don't say that. Our our listeners yeah, and our you, readers you, hate, you, we hate get yelled me. at we, for that. I got yelled at for mentioning them in my release about Huntsville <laughs> leaving. That was that was probably the biggest news was ever you know, I think I had five comments and they or I had seven comments and five of them were about why are you mentioning Western and Miami? And I was like, because it makes sense geographically have you looked at a map? 
if I'm hearing that rumor in Alaska from trusted sources, like it's this shouldn't be news to most people that are connected to the programs, I would hope. Yeah. But I mean, I, well, I think I've a lot of it, it is multiple sources. I trust, Miami but. and Western have an attachment to Bowling Green from their from the rest of their sports. Well, and they it's have an a, in-state rival and they've gotten rid of them. Well, and they have their footprint. For, and yeah. and and then if you get rid of Huntsville and the Alaska schools, it's it's far more palatable for Miami and Western to consider shuffling because they don't they don't feel like they're getting not, not to say that especially Alaska are like the three of them are bad teams or bad programs, but they're, they're in a bad place right now. Um, and, and it's tough to put that, like, why would they want to leave so that they have to travel to those three places? And if you just do the, the reshuffle, if you do the reshuffling and then those three have to figure out their own thing, it's far easier for Western and Miami to say, okay, I'll go with Ferris and, and Bowling Green, and I don't know who, how else it shakes out to all the UP schools or not all of them. I don't know. But um, it makes a lot of sense to swap Western and Miami for, for Bemidji State and Mankato and, and just go from there because you get your, your footprints. The only thing that I see are, as a reason for it not to go that way is all these schools are really enjoying the um, the closeness of non-conference games that are available. Well, and I think that's a, when Britain kind of talked about that hockey East looks like they're on the upswing right now. Right. You know, so comment Britain made earlier. I think the reason you're seeing that is because the NCHC and the big 10 non-conference games are against their traditional weaker in-conference rivals. The NCHC isn't going and playing hockey East that often anymore. No, they're not traveling that far across the country because you have in state like Minnesota state and Bemidji, non-conference games for all the Minnesota schools in the NCHC. So you've got a comparison between East and West hockey now where the teams that are on the eastern edge of the WCHA are the ones crossing and playing the eastern schools. And the Big Ten. And maybe not doing as well. And the Big Ten, right? And then Penn State's over there doing it too. But the top teams of Western hockey aren't going east as often as they used to anymore because they don't have to. They can get in backyard if you will uh non-conference games and and they're far more likely to get the wcha schools to agree to unbalanced schedules so they get more home games out of it because tech wants to play michigan and they'll take getting them in houghton once every three times and i hope they stop doing that but i would love to see the wcha as a whole and i know it's not going to happen because of the money behind it just say we aren't playing games unless they're one for ones yeah. Stop. When I League think, policy. And I think you can, But it's not going to happen. Well, I think you could see that happening with the, the seven teams leaving because they're geographically close enough that they should be able to get one-for-ones. Um, and really, the Alaska schools should be able to, too, because the school they're playing can come up there for free. Like, not not free of charge, but the games don't count against their schedule, and then they go back to the other school, and it's basically a equivalent of a one-for-none where they're and for schools like North Dakota, they're making a lot more money on the two games in in when they host Anchorage or, or Fairbanks than they would for what it costs them to go up there on a flight or whatever. I mean, that's why they have the Hall of Fame game all the time is because they make money on top of what they have to pay the Hall of Fame to have the game. Have there been uh, a lot of the NCHA teams going up north? I haven't paid much attention. It's been more of the Big Ten teams going up there, hasn't it been? Well, we actually have. We've only had one Big Ten team come up, uh, to okay. my knowledge. We have a the, there's a reciprocal in place with Denver. It sounds like pretty much uh, going forward. Whenever that's that's going to continue to materialize, which well, that flight because, honestly has got to be pretty cheap. I mean, Denver to Fairbanks or Denver to Anchorage. There's got to be a regular flight and, for that. And Denver CC that, makes sense because. Their series are all flights, so what's the difference between going to Anchorage, which is or Fairbanks, sure. which are probably both well, at least Anchorage is definitely a regular flight out of Denver. Uh you don't it's not creating a huge problem. Yeah, and I mean depending on the time of the year, like if it's early like early in the season, like they were able to fly direct to Fairbanks from Denver too. So like right. you know, one single flight on on United, no problem. And then I think uh on the way back they connected through Seattle, but regardless, like um, I mean, having 
having the Alaska friendly faces on the on the Denver bench from Alaska. I mean, both both the assistant coaches were former head coaches at UAF, and and uh, of course David Carl, born and raised in Anchorage. That's a pretty big win for Alaska schools right there. To yeah, have that kind Gives of an advocate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, more or less. I mean, the, the, kind of the vibe that I got was is like the is Denver would much like schools like Denver would would much rather come west or come north and play Alaska than they would to go east and and play a you know a Boston College or something like that even though because the travel is going to be pretty much the same but if they're going to expend the effort they can get an extra home game out of it like like we talked about with the exemption rule um for and for those that don't know I mean it's any any in the NCAA like every school every uh, team that comes to play either Hawaii or an Alaska school in Alaska or Hawaii get the exemption from their schedule cap. So back to the whole UAA Alaska having hockey announced for next year. What is your perception of that announcement? Like what is that? Like we talked about this, I think on the unreleased episode a little bit where, where we speculated that like, I think it's great that they announced that, but do they really have the power to like, can't the legislature still screw this all up? Well, the legislature doesn't have like like specific authority to delegate what the university spends money on. Um, I mean, they can look at the overall budget that is certainly public, and they can kind of line strike items they think they should be cut and cut the funding by those amounts. But um, they don't have the direct authority to say, well, UAA can't shouldn't have 13 sports you need to cut down to the minimum of 10 um, you know uaf shouldn't have x program uaa shouldn't do you know shouldn't charge for parking or whatever you want to call it right they don't well, have think... those type of those types of policy decisions they had some pretty heavy cuts in what they did so how how is it possible to keep the school functioning the way it needs to and keep all that athletics? Well, I think there's other, certainly other areas of, of, of places that can be cut. I, what you're seeing, I think, is the administration's backing of athletics and the purpose that it serves. I mean, it's the, the having had several conversations with UAF chancellor, at least it's, uh, I've been certainly aware of his, uh, of his support for athletics overall. And I think you're, you, there was a piece that he did in the, in the course, and that might be good to share possibly on the, on the tech hockey guy blog, if you're interested, but there was an editorial that he posted in the paper about the value of athletics and what it brings to a university. And um, I mean, for the chancellor to say that and get and put that kind of institutional support behind the program. I mean, that's huge. I mean, as far as like hockey goes, I mean, we're, the scholarships are fully funded. The operating budget's all, all is all there. Obviously, all the travel pieces are all still in place. They're still buying hockey sticks and uniforms. They just signed a new equipment contract with Warrior. I mean, all these things are still happening. Their guys are getting new pads and new skates and stuff that they need to play hockey and and to be a Division One level program. I mean, well, I mean, you guys uh, have that locker in the in the Carlson Center that's absolutely beautiful that was just redone. I mean, your guys' facilities are fantastic. They really are. I mean, I'm hoping that there's a, you, there's a lot you, that kind of goes into that, but there's a lot of, around that of, of uh, you know, what it takes to kind of keep that functioning. I mean, that's, that that facility is not owned by UAF. Right. You know, it's yeah, a, I knew it's that. It's a borough-owned rink, and the university pays rent to play there. I mean, the UAA you saw this year pulled out of their agreement to, that, of playing at the Sullivan Arena, which is another similar situation. You know, a building that seats 6,000 that they – you know, maybe only had five or 600 that went to that, went to those games. And now, you know, now they're playing on an on-campus rink where they're sharing locker rooms with swim teams. Well, I think that's a story for another day and maybe we should uh, take a break and come back and do our predictions. All right, welcome back. And we're going to get going with predictions. Let's start with... A non-conference series, Minnesota State is heading up to Duluth to play the Bulldogs for two games at Amsoil Arena. What do you think, Rob? I think you're going to see a split on that one. I'll call uh, I'll call Duluth winning on the first first night close game, and then Mankato comes back and uh, wins by two goals in the second game. I think uh, splits, splits where we end up there. Duluth seems to be not having as good of a year as they've had in the last few years, but then again, their last few years have been uh, way too good decent. for my my liking. Pretty decent, should we say? <laughs> you know, 
Uh, so maybe it's maybe more of a return back down to the norm for them, <laughs> if you will. But yeah, they uh, they've had an impressive few years. So, but I think Mankato is going to take one. Mankato's been on a roll this year. It's time for them to finally prove it. You know, with some out of conference win. What do you got, Britain? Yeah, I, I I think his split is certainly probably uh, very likely. I but I think this is both teams' opportunity really to prove out of conference uh, what they're what they're really made of. I mean. Mankato's at the top of the standings, obviously the top of the polls. But I mean, they've played their uh, their per- the perception is that they've only played WCHA teams. They they played some they played some good games though so far. It's not a conference. They played North Dakota, I believe, and got got a, a win and a tie, I believe. Um, so there's there's certainly some strength there. Yeah. So just to just to run down what the what they have done out of conference this year, they they swept Arizona State at home. And then North Dakota came in, tied the first night, and won the second night. So they took, they took uh, the more of the points that weekend. Well, I'm going to take the Mankato sweep because I think even though they're going in as number one, and the Bulldogs are definitely going to want to take some points from the in-state rival. I just think Minnesota State's a better team. I think they're going to get it done this time and and show people they deserve to be number one. It's going to be tough to bump just, on that you're... spot if they do sweep. That's for sure. Does this blog have a WCHA bias? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick Bowling Green in the other one we're gonna talk about here. So the next series we're gonna talk about is the Bowling Green Notre Dame series, which is a home and home, and the first game is in South Bend. And I'm gonna start and go with three points for Notre Dame, because I do think. They're a really good team, and Bowling Green has kind of been showing some cracks the last couple of weeks. And I, I know Bowling Green has got the chance to get this, get do more than that. But I'm going to take Notre Dame with three points. Rob, I think on this one we'll see a Notre Dame sweep, home call sweep on this one. Bowling Green, I think, is going to struggle a little bit here. New new coach, you know, Bergeron's gone after doing such a great job with the program. I think uh, Notre Dame is going to struggle. No, not Notre Dame. But Bowling Green is going to struggle here with this one. Notre Dame takes takes all the points. You, I don't think you can have a more differing set of rinks to go play in there. South Bend is like the most pristine, clean, like family-friendly rink I think I've ever been to. And then you see the little Matt, Mercer Madhouse or whatever they call it. So it's going to be interesting to watch from, from that side of things. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with a Notre Dame uh, a sweep on this one. Again, I don't want that to happen, but that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> yeah, we want all the points we can get. I'm going to agree with you on that one, Rob. That's uh, that's that's a that's a good call. I don't think that uh, that Bowling Green's going to be able to match. Uh, that's going to be able to match Notre Dame on this one. Notre Dame just got too many off, too many weapons. They're uh, they're very 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 good offensively. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But I'm uh, I'm going to predict a Notre Dame sweep but at the same time I uh, I would love to see Bowling Green pull one out well I'm not surprised with what you guys chose there but I think we're going to have a few different different opinions on the next series the feature series this week Michigan Tech heading up to Fairbanks and playing Alaska why don't we start with Rob on this one well given what's already happened this year um, uh, I think we see more broom action but it's going to go the other way this time around the Carlson Center has basically been like McGinnis North to us when we go up there. We just, you know, the fans in that that rink when it's an opportunity to travel, nice and loud. You can hear them on the radio back here. You can't hear the fans from from Fairbanks. So, I don't know. I, I see a sweep for Tech up there. Got to pay them back for the earlier series. <laughs> well, the only the only team that's been able to sweep the annex all year is, uh, has been Denver. So I, I don't think your only Michigan tech is quite Denver. I mean, Penn state didn't do it. I mean, certainly up in Houghton, I, uh, and the actual McGinnis, the Huskies couldn't even get one. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's not October the, anymore. Britain. It's not October anymore. <laughs> You're also, uh, not in Kansas anymore, I guess too. Right. But I, uh, I don't know. I don't see anything less than a split. Um, I don't think any team, either team, is going to sweep. I'm, I'm going to call it probably a 75% shot of of uh, the Nanix winning on a Friday and probably uh, the Huskies winning in overtime on Saturday. I 
both games are close. They're probably both one goal games. I'm going to go three, two and two to one OT for tech on Saturday. Well, we'll have to tune in later this week to see what Jonathan predicts since he's been spot on for three weeks in a row. But I'm going to yeah, go with the Husky sweep. He's been sweep. ridiculous. He has Just been ridiculous. ridiculous. Five out of the last six games, he's predicted the score. Yeah, not and he's just picked the, result, the winner, the score six straight times. Uh, we'll have to see what he says, but I'm also going to go with the tech sweep just because I think they're they're finally playing the way they want to. I think um, the games were close when they were not playing it all the way they wanted to. In Houghton, granted, it was in Houghton, but like you said, Rob, we've we've had their number up there. So I I'm going to go with the sweep because I think Jerusalem's playing well. I think the offense has found their scoring touch, and I think they're going to find a way to keep it up. I'm sure they're going to be close games again because they always are, but I'm going to go with the Huskies sweep. Well, thanks for joining us today, Britton. We appreciate it while Dustin's off deer hunting somewhere in southern Minnesota. Hey, guys. Well, I'm I'm here in Seattle where I'm trying to avoid getting rained on, but we'll uh, make it back to proper weather here in a few hours. Enjoy your travels. <laughs> Well, that should do it for this episode of the Chasing McNaughton podcast. Please check out our Patreon and join by visiting patreon.com slash techhockeyguide. Patrons at our black level or above receive an authentic MTU jersey patch and access to extra podcast content, including the unpublished episode one. Follow us on Twitter at ChasingMacPod or at techhockeyguide. You can submit questions through our email address, chasingmac at techhockeyguide.com, or send us a voice message directly at anchor.fm slash chasingmacpod. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find the podcast on your site of choice, please let us know and we'll make it happen. The more you rate, review, and share, the more people we can reach, so tell your friends. Please check out Jonathan's Amadeus series previews every Friday and Mike Anleitner's old dog in texas column every wednesday there should also be a semi-regular content on mondays and tuesdays going forward from matt cavender and myself you can find all this and more at techhockeyguide.com as always special thanks to our patron saint doc mcresin for his generous donation to get this thing running we hope you enjoy also thanks to the thank you notes for all the bumpers in tonight's episode if you like what you hear, check them out at thethankyounotes.bandcamp.com. Look at that funky hipster with that black denim stare With your yellow sunglasses and your slick back hair Look at that funky hipster with your shiny touchscreen Is your wallet made of nylon? Smell plastic green. Look at that funky hipster on your brand new bike. Are you fixed on a gear? Is that how you live your life? Look at that funky hipster with no skinny leg jeans. Are you always popping pills? I guess you're always on.
funky hipster. Yeah, funky.